Welcome to this special presentation of the unabridged audiobook of Afterlife, a rainy day investigation on the Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs fiction podcast. Afterlife was inspired by a real-life investigation conducted by co-author and parapsychologist Lloyd Auerbach that was the case that made him believe in ghosts. Although Afterlife is book two in the series, you can enjoy it as a standalone story. However, you'll likely also want to listen to Near Death, the novel that introduces Dr. Jennifer Day, anthropology professor and parapsychologist, to her skeptical partner, former police detective Nate Rainey. In Afterlife, Danny, a young boy, makes friends with the ghost of a woman, Maureen, who used to live in the house his family has moved into. He's the only one who can see and hear her. Maureen died 15 years earlier, trying to make her escape from a botched bank robbery, at which time she hid millions of dollars in cash and valuables. Unfortunately, she can't remember where, but that's not going to stop her old partners from doing everything they can to find their long-lost treasure, no matter what the cost. If you enjoyed this free presentation, I hope you'll take a minute to post a review on Amazon, Audible, and Goodreads, as well as your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to listen to Near Death, along with my weekly short stories, here on Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs. And now... Part 9 of Afterlife, A Rainy Day Investigation, by Rich Hosick, Arnold Rudnick, and Lloyd Auerbach. Chapter 31 Marcia pulled into the grocery store parking lot and checked her watch. She hadn't planned on making a food run, but it occurred to her as she and Greg were making breakfast for the kids that they really didn't have anything to offer Dr. Day and her staff when they came over this afternoon. So, she left the kids with Greg and headed into town to stock up on some fresh fruit, maybe some cheese and crackers, and soft drinks and coffee. The market was one of the big chain stores. She usually preferred the organic market on the other side of town, but she was pressed for time. She walked in, grabbed a cart, and pushed it straight toward the produce. A man in a police uniform, carrying a sack in one hand and a Diet Coke in the other, eyed her as she walked by. Marcia noticed him watching her. He looked familiar. She started selecting apples and pears and grabbed a bag of the mini oranges the kids liked. Mrs. Foreman? a voice asked. Marcia turned around and saw the policeman standing just behind her. She smiled, digging through her memory for his name. He extended a hand. Liam McDonald, we met when you were working on the department website. The face and situation registered in Marcia's mind, but not the name. She had gotten the contract to revamp the Danville PD site shortly after they had moved to town. Liam was one of the officers there who knew a little about everything. Her interactions with him were brief and unmemorable. She couldn't even recall if he had ever told her his name. Officer McDonald, of course. It's nice to see you again. I hope I'm not bothering you, he said. Well, I'm kind of on an emergency shopping trip, she told him. Oh, Liam replied, reconsidering whether this was the right time and place to engage Mrs. Foreman but he and Dale needed to know what was going on with them. Had they found the money or some clue? Why was that detective snooping around and asking questions about the house? He decided to take an indirect approach. Well, I won't keep you. I was just curious why there was a detective at the station the other day asking questions about you. Marcia suddenly lost interest in the produce. About me? Well, not you specifically, but your family. He said his name was Rainey. Marcia thought back to the website she and Greg had visited when they had initially reached out to Dr. Day. She remembered that name was part of it somehow. 
Of course, it was the thing that Greg used to sell her on reaching out to the parapsychologist. She worked with a private detective who was an ex-cop, and his name was Rainey. She didn't know if she should feel offended or reassured that he was checking up on them. I think I know what that's about, she told him. Anything I can help with? I mean, if you want me to look into him, find out. No, that's not necessary. It's someone my husband and I reached out to. We've been having a bit of a situation at the house. I hope it's nothing bad. No, it's just... Marcia considered whether she should say anything else, but decided it might be better to reassure Officer McDonald that it was nothing he needed to worry about. It's kind of a personal matter. My son, Danny, has been, well, his best friend is a ghost, she said. The expression on his face was pure surprise. Whatever he thought she was going to say, this was the farthest thing from it. Oh, was the first word out of his mouth. You mean like Casper? Marcia laughed. Kind of. But instead of a little boy ghost, he's made friends with a grown woman. Well, that's interesting, Liam replied. I'm at a bit of a loss as to what that has to do with the detective from San Francisco. He works with a parapsychologist. A what? Dr. Day. She's an expert on ghosts and hauntings and stuff like that. Detective Rainey apparently gives the cases a skeptic's point of view. My husband is convinced it's really a ghost, but I'm not so sure. What do you think it is? She shrugged. Just an imaginary friend. He found a box of photos in the attic, and maybe he just made her up, imagined what it would be like to know her. He has friends at school, but we live so far out of town, he doesn't see them a lot. I'm sure that's what it is, Liam said. The doctor and some people from her staff are coming over today. I have to do a little last-minute shopping so they don't think I'm a rude hostess. Marcia glanced down at her watch, then offered a hasty goodbye. Nice to see you again, Officer McDonald, but I've really got to get going. I'll tell Maureen you said hello, she added as a joke. She grabbed her cart and started to push it toward the deli counter. Did you say Maureen? Liam asked. Marcia answered as she walked away. Yes, that's the name of Danny's friend, she replied, offering him an embarrassed smile. See you around, Officer. Liam stood completely still. Maureen. He slipped the bottle of Diet Coke into his bag pulled out his phone, and tapped on one of his recent calls. When the party on the other side answered, Liam said, Dale, we need to talk. Chapter 32 Maureen stood on the front porch of the house. She looked out at the orchard across the road. She hadn't really paid it any attention until now. The trees had just been planted by an almond grower a few years before the robbery, and now they were twenty feet tall. In the house, Greg and the kids were getting ready for the guests, while Marcia had gone off to run some errands. She knew if she was going to attempt her plan, she would have to do it now. Even though she had spent time outside the house in the yard and on the porch, she hadn't dared make her way to the road. But today, she needed to go much further than that. Would she be able to leave? Would she be able to return? Maureen thought back to the robbery. She thought about the bank and the counter where she worked as a teller. Then she closed her eyes. When she opened them, she was standing there, in the bank, not behind the counter, but in the middle of the lobby, the exact point she was thinking of just a second ago. She looked around. The bank was busier than she remembered it. The tellers had mostly been replaced by automated terminals, and people stood in line in front of them, impatiently looking at the tiny video screens that Marie knew now from watching Marsha and Greg were their phones. 
It amazed her that they could play games and watch videos on them. No one noticed her. She had wondered if there were other people like Danny who could see and hear her, but it was becoming more apparent that what they had was unique. She was deciphering the rules of being a ghost as she went along. So far she knew that she could change her clothes just by imagining herself wearing something different. And likewise, she didn't need to walk from one place to another. She could just see herself in a different location, and she was there. Traveling to the bank was a test of just how far she could take that ability. But it was a place she knew, a place she had a connection with. Could she go somewhere she hadn't been before? At the same time, how was she able to see? Why was her interaction with the world so one way? She could see the people around her, but they couldn't see her. She could see the things around her, but couldn't touch them. She felt like she had to shake the notion that she was using her eyes to see. There had to be something else at work, a sense she didn't have when she was alive, or if she did, wasn't aware of. And if that was the case, was that wall really keeping her from seeing the street outside? It turned out it wasn't. For the first time, she felt disconnected from the image she had of herself. She wondered if she could see the whole town at once, and then she could. As she expanded her awareness, it became less focused. Individual people became crowds, but she could still sense them. She thought about Marcia, wondering where she was in that sea of people. The grocery store, she knew instantly. And then she could see her pushing a cart filled with bags toward her minivan in the parking lot. But she knew Marcia, and maybe had a connection with her through Danny. Would it work with someone she hadn't met? With Dr. Jennifer Day? She pictured the photo from the website. Was that face out there somewhere? Could she see it with her ghost sense? Then she became aware of something in the distance. It resolved into an SUV speeding down the highway. And in the passenger seat was Dr. Day. Maureen was pleasantly surprised to find herself in the back seat between two people she recognized as members of Dr. Day's staff. Dave and Emily, she remembered. And driving was Detective Rainey. Dave and Emily shivered. Can you turn down the air a bit? Dave asked. It's not on, Detective Rainey replied. His gaze was focused on the rearview mirror, trying to figure out if he really did catch a glimpse of a dark gray Hummer on the highway behind them, or if he was just imagining it. You haven't answered my question, Dr. Day said, continuing a conversation they were having before Maureen joined them. What, will I be open to the possibility that the boy is actually talking to a ghost? I believe I used the word apparition. It's just not the first explanation I jumped to, or the second. He thought for a moment. Or tenth. Well, I don't buy your theory that he found some diary and is making the whole thing up. He's ten. Detective Rainey nodded. So, what you're telling me is that you're not open to the idea that kids sometimes go to great lengths to get attention. If he wanted attention, he could have just set the house on fire, Emily said in a dry monotone. That worked for me. Jennifer and Dave looked at her curious. Kidding, she said in the same flat voice. Look, the detective said with an authoritative tone, I've seen kids who are not much older than ten who are running some pretty sophisticated rackets in their schools, selling drugs, stealing phones. This isn't some disadvantaged youth trying to survive on the streets. He's a normal suburban fifth grader, Dr. Day said to him. I'm just pointing out that kids are smarter than we give them credit for sometimes, he replied. Danny is certainly pretty smart, Maureen thought, but he's not lying about me. Dave chimed in from the back seat. According to his dad, Danny has a lot of details of her life. 
cultural references that he would have no exposure to. Maybe he's watching reruns of Seinfeld, Detective Rainey suggested. All the ten-year-old boys I know are watching Rick and Morty, Emily droned. You know ten-year-old boys? Dave asked. Cousins, she explained. I'm just saying that there are alternative explanations that are much more likely than conversations with a dead woman, Detective Rainey reiterated. Only if you don't believe we can have conversations with a dead woman, Dr. Day countered. Maureen smiled. She was really starting to like Dr. Day. Chapter 33 Marsha watched nervously as Emily set up a couple video cameras on tripods, and Dave unpacked a selection of sensors and started pairing them with a laptop computer. Is all this really necessary? she asked. Jennifer put a reassuring hand on her shoulder. I promise, this is just for our use. Nothing we record here today will be shared with anyone unless you give us explicit permission. Marsha looked across the room to Nate. The detective had been quiet after introducing himself when they had first arrived. He didn't seem interested in what Dr. Day and her assistants were doing. He walked around the living room, checking out the family photos they had hanging on the wall and looking out the windows. Is that true, Detective Rainey? she asked, calling across the room. Nate turned his attention to the concerned mother and smiled. You can believe Dr. Day, he told her. I'd trust her with my life. And he has, Emily added dryly. Nate could see that Marcia was truly concerned. He crossed the room and gave her a reassuring smile. And all the time I've known Dr. Day and her staff, they have always been completely professional. Marcia seemed unpersuaded. A lot of her cases end up in the newspapers and on the web, she said. Nate nodded. Dr. Day has never commented publicly without the consent of her clients, and everything published on her website has any personal information redacted. If you want answers, she's the right person to ask the questions. The tension in Marcia eased. What do you think about all this? She asked Nate. Nate eyed Jennifer, who raised a cautioning eyebrow. I'm a detective, he answered. I try to wait until I have all the facts before I make a determination. And what facts did you gather from the local police? Marcia asked. Nate didn't seem surprised that word of his visit with Chief Lewis had made its way back to the foreman's. Nothing you need to worry about, he replied. Nothing makes a person worry more than telling them they don't need to worry, Marcia countered. I have to agree with Mrs. Foreman on that one, Detective Rainey, Dave said. It's like telling someone not to think about elephants. I like elephants, said a young voice from the stairway to the second floor. Everyone turned toward the sound. Daisy, the foreman's daughter, was dancing down the stairs, followed by Greg and Danny. The children were dressed as if they were going to school, and Danny didn't seem too pleased. Elephants are kind of stinky, Emily said. Daisy paused and looked at Emily. But they can pick up things with their noses. Emily thought about it, then replied, Yeah, that is kind of cool. My name's Daisy, the little girl said to Emily. Like the flower. What's yours? My name's Emily, Emily said like other people named Emily. Daisy laughed. You're funny. Not on purpose, Emily assured her. Hello, everyone. This is Danny, Greg said as he and his son entered the living room. Danny gave a shy wave. Jennifer waved back, then reached into her pocket and pulled out a small white paper bag. Do you like candy corn? She asked as she pulled out an orange and yellow candy from the bag and popped it into her mouth. Danny looked up at his dad. Can I? He asked. Greg patted him on the head. Sure. Not too much, Marsha warned. Jennifer bent over and offered the bag to the boy. Danny picked out four of the candies, 
He put two in his mouth and slipped the other two in his pocket. Can I have some? Daisy asked. Sure, Jennifer replied. She held the bag out to Daisy and the girl reached inside to find it empty. There isn't any left, she said, pouting. There isn't? Jennifer asked. She looked inside the bag. I wonder where they went. Daisy shrugged. Jennifer looked at the girl, inspecting her face. Oh, I see them. Where? Jennifer reached out for Daisy's nose with one hand while holding the empty bag below. She made a show of shaking Daisy's nose as the bag filled up with candy corn. The little girl's eyes widened in surprise. Jennifer took her hand away from her nose and held the bag out for Daisy, who eagerly filled her small hand with the colorful treats and started eating them one by one. Watch out for boogers, Danny warned. Daisy stopped, then looked up at Jennifer. Don't worry, I promise they are booger-free, Jennifer assured her. Daisy stuck her tongue out at Danny, then ran to her mom and pressed herself against Marcia's leg. Jennifer put the candy away and turned back to the boy. My name's Jennifer, she said. It's very nice to meet you, Danny. She extended her hand and Danny shook it. Nate marveled at how quickly and completely Jennifer charmed the kids. The magic trick for Daisy put the little girl at ease, and shaking Danny's hand let him know she would take him seriously. The way the kids accepted her in turn caused the parents to relax. Danny eyed the camera Dave was setting up. Am I going to be on TV? No, Jennifer answered. We just use those because sometimes it's hard to remember everything. But if we have a video, we can just watch it again. Danny nodded his understanding. Do you know why we're here? She asked. Because I'm a Marine, Danny answered. You're not going to try and catch her like they do on Ghostbusters, are you? He asked. I promised her you were nice. Jennifer lowered herself on one knee to Danny's level so she could look him straight in the eye. No, not at all. I'm a scientist, Danny, a parapsychologist. We study things like ghosts and people with special abilities. And it's not too often we find two of them in the same house. You think I have special powers? Kind of. You know how some people can hear or see better than other people? Danny nodded. Well, you can see and hear ghosts better than other people. So you think Maureen is real? That's what I'm here to find out. Jennifer assured him. Why don't we all sit down and get comfortable? The foremans and Jennifer moved toward the sitting area of the living room. The family sat on the sofa, Danny in the middle with Marcia and Greg on either side, and Daisy on her mother's lap. Jennifer sat in an armchair across from them. Nate remained standing. He took a position where he could observe the whole scene, see everything going on, including a view of Dave's laptop showing the sensor widgets and video camera feeds. He didn't really think that this was some elaborate setup by the foremans to get attention, but he didn't want to miss anything in case he was wrong. Emily took a seat on a chair against one wall behind Jennifer. She looked disinterested and bored, but used that as a cover to be hyper-observant. The undergrad was much smarter than anyone except Nate and Jennifer gave her credit for, and she used that to her advantage. Her low-key attitude gave her a kind of social invisibility, and sometimes people said and did things around her without realizing she was there. Nate knew cops that adopted a similar strategy. Dave finished double-checking that everything was working and recording, then picked up the laptop and walked over to join Jennifer and the family, heading for another empty chair. Danny followed Dave, and when he saw where he was headed, his eyes grew wider. Jennifer noticed Danny's reaction to Dave. Dave, hold on a second, she said to her assistant, just before he sat in the chair. What's wrong? Dave asked. Jennifer smiled at Danny. She's here, isn't she? Yes, Danny answered. 
and she's sitting in that chair that Dave was going to sit in. Danny nodded and looked over at the empty chair. Dave took a step back and spied a love seat. I'll just go sit over there, he said. Has she been here the whole time? Jennifer asked. Danny's head bobbed affirmatively. How long have you been able to see Marine? The boy shrugged. I don't know. Ever since we moved here. How come you didn't tell your mom and dad about her then? I didn't know who she was. But now you do. He nodded. She's my friend. Jennifer smiled reassuringly. Does Maureen have a last name? I guess so. Everyone does. But she never told me what it is. Can she tell you now? Danny looked over at the chair, but didn't get a response. Tell you what, let's play a game. I'll try to guess, and you tell me when Maureen says I have it right. Is it Smith? Jones? Danny shook his head. No. Anderson? Snodgrass? Huffalump? Daisy giggled at the last one. Danny shook his head again. Everly? Johnson? Flynn? Danny's attention was drawn to the chair. Everly, he confirmed. Jennifer cast a glance in Nate's direction. He avoided returning her gaze. Danny, do you watch the news with your parents? Nate asked. Sometimes, Danny admitted. Nate looked at Jennifer. Her glare was decidedly scolding now. Maureen says she saw a picture of herself on the news. Jennifer returned her focus to Danny. You can hear Maureen, too? she asked. Yeah, but it's not the same way I can hear you. It's kind of inside my head instead of in my ears. Then he turned toward Nate. I don't watch reruns of Seinfeld, he added. Nate remembered back to the car ride when he suggested that Danny might be getting some of the cultural references he attributed to Maureen from old television shows. He shot a look at Dave, who appeared surprised by the revelation. Emily and Jennifer didn't betray their reactions if they had any. Danny turned toward Maureen's chair. It's a cartoon about a weird family that travels through time and space, but it's mostly for grown-ups. What is, dear? Marcia asked. I was just telling Maureen what Rick and Morty was, Danny explained. Emily and Dave exchanged a look. Why did she ask you that? Jennifer asked him. She heard you guys talking in your car when you were coming here. She wanted to make sure you weren't going to try and trick her. How did she know who we were? Nate asked. That's actually a good question, Emily added. Danny bowed his head. It's okay, Danny, Greg said. You can tell us. You won't be mad? He asked, looking sheepishly at his mother. Of course not, Marcia assured him. Danny looked down at his shoes. I helped her look you up on Mom's computer. He instantly looked to his mother, expecting her to be angry. But she only smiled. It's okay, Danny, she promised him. Danny, does Maureen know she's a ghost? Jennifer asked. He nodded. She figured it out. What does she look like? Danny shrugged. A lady, like you. What color is her hair? Can you tell me what she's wearing? Her hair is darker and shorter. He looked at the chair. She's wearing blue jeans and a lumberjack shirt. Is that what she always wears? No, sometimes she has a dress on or wears a t-shirt. And she used to live in this house? She still does. She uses our guest room. More like a ghost room, Dave whispered to Nate. Jennifer ignored the comment. Do you see her all the time? Only when she's with me, Danny answered. So she's not with you all the time? Marsha asked. Danny shook his head. Marsha breathed a sigh of relief. Can you ask her what she does when she's not with you? Jennifer asked the boy. Danny turned his head toward the chair for a long moment, then looked back to Jennifer. 
She says most of the time she doesn't do anything. The time just sort of disappears. But if she wants to, she's figured out how to go other places. Like our car. Danny listened again to his invisible friend. Yeah, she said that wasn't as hard as she thought it would be. At first she thought she could only move around the house. But when she wants to go somewhere, she just thinks of that place and she's there. When she thought of your picture and your friends, she just found you. Jennifer took in the information from Danny. If it was true, it explained a few things that had always puzzled her about how some spirits were able to be present in different locations. Does she know why she hasn't moved on? Danny seemed confused. What does that mean? Then he turned again to the empty chair. Oh, do you mean why she hasn't gone to heaven? Jennifer nodded. Danny seemed sad. She's not sure. She can't remember some stuff and is afraid she might go to the other place. Smart move, Emily said quietly. What does she remember? Jennifer asked. Danny listened for a minute. She remembers growing up in this house. She remembers that she died here. And she remembers that she did something bad. He looked at the empty chair. She says she thinks she robbed a bank. Jennifer smiled at Danny, then looked sidelong over at Nate. Like the bank robbery they've been talking about on television lately, Nate asked. I don't know. I only get to watch an hour a day, and I like the Disney Channel. But you hear the news when your parents watch it, right? Nate asked. Marsha looked at Nate, glaring at him protectively. Danny is not a liar, she insisted. I'm sure he's not, Nate said. Greg gave Danny a reassuring pat on his head, then looked at Jennifer. Do you think it's her? I mean, who else could it be? That's what we're here to find out, Jennifer said. What more proof do you need? Greg asked. Jennifer took in a breath. In matters like this, when we don't have anyone to confirm Maureen's presence and verify what Danny's telling us, we can only record what he says and look for confirmation of what she tells him afterwards. She already told you what she heard you talking about during your drive here. Isn't that confirmation? Greg asked. It's very convincing, Jennifer admitted. But unfortunately, it wasn't under any controlled circumstances. Danny may have overheard something, a conversation among my team members. Nate looked at Jennifer, surprised that she wasn't jumping at the opportunity to rub that little revelation Danny had dumped on them in his face. Out of the corner of her eye, Jennifer saw Dave suddenly sit up straight, his eyes wide open. He shivered. Danny, where's Maureen right now? she asked. Danny looked over at the empty chair, then at Dave. He giggled. What do you see? Greg asked. She's dancing around Dave, moving through him. It's funny. Dave held perfectly still. Please ask her to stop, he asked. Danny passed his gaze across the room as if watching someone walking around. Emily felt a chill on the back of her neck. Something tickled Jennifer's ear. Danny looked at Nate. The detective was looking right at him, smiling confidently. Do you feel anything? Dave asked Nate. Nate shook his head. He already has ice in his veins, Emily said. What just happened, Danny? Jennifer asked. Maureen walked through the weird girl, then touched your ear, and now she's standing next to the policeman. She says there's something about him that's different, that he's more like her than anyone else she's met. Freaky, Emily said in her low monotone. What does that mean? Greg asked. Jennifer looked at Nate, expecting him to admonish her not to reveal her theories about his near-death experience but he gave an amused smile instead. She took that as permission to share his story. Detective Rainey was in the situation six months ago where he was shot and had died for a short period, 
until the doctors revived him. Everyone looked toward Nate. Can you see her? Greg asked. Nate shook his head. No, I don't see anything except for the living people in this room. I don't feel a chill in the air or the hairs going up on the back of my neck. This is why we call him Detective Buzzkill, Emily droned. Why would Maureen say that to Danny? Greg asked Jennifer. Danny wouldn't know anything about Detective Rainey's past. Isn't that proof? It's nothing, Nate answered before Jennifer could speak. You could interpret that a hundred different ways. He's right, Jennifer said. No one thing that's happened is in itself proof. But added up together, Greg suggested. Jennifer shrugged. I'd like for Danny to ask Maureen to show us around, take us to the places in the house that have meaning to her, that have triggered memories of her past. I don't know, Marcia said. I don't feel comfortable asking him to do too much of whatever this is. Maybe another time. It's okay, Mom, Danny said, smiling at Marcia. I want to, and Maureen says she likes Dr. Day. We'll keep it short, Jennifer promised. Danny and Greg both looked to Marcia, pleading. All right, she finally relented. But there was something bothering her, a nagging thought in the back of her mind, something she hoped she could find an opportunity to talk to Detective Rainey about before he left. Chapter 34 Dale stepped out of the house into the afternoon sun. Standing on the sidewalk, hands in his uniform pockets, was Liam. Okay, what? Dale asked. Liam walked toward Dale and joined him on the front porch. They sat in a pair of wicker chairs off to one side. Liam spoke in a low, conspiratorial voice. I ran into the mother from the family that moved into your old place. So? They hired some psychic to check it out. Apparently the little boy sees dead people. Dale swallowed. A feeling overcame him, like a long-forgotten premonition that suddenly came true. Liam, seeing the reaction in Dale, continued. Supposedly... The kid has made friends with a ghost. A ghost named Maureen. Dale felt suddenly dizzy. That was impossible. There are no such things as ghosts, he said. Liam shrugged. Maybe. But what if she is there? What if we don't need to wander the back trails around here for months, maybe years, looking for the loot that Maureen hid? Dale closed his eyes. Could it be true? Could he speak with Maureen again? Tell her how sorry he was that he got her mixed up in that crazy heist. Sorry that he got her killed. And all her dreams of growing old together with children and grandchildren would never come true. He had often teased Maureen when she made any remarks about the feelings she would get from time to time that her grandmother was hanging around the house. How she would get excited whenever they saw a television show featuring psychics who claimed they had a pipeline to the spirit world. His own mother had been a diehard believer and even claimed she had what she called the second sight the ability to sense the future, though to be honest, most of her predictions were vague in general. But when he had first brought Maureen home to meet her, she had told him she would become the love of his life. Of course, he knew that already. But to hear it from his mother, with more surety than he had ever gleaned from any of her predictions, cemented his love for her. If only his mother had lived long enough to warn him about how disastrous the bank robbery would go. Dale, you still with me? Liam asked. Dale nodded. It could be a trap, he suggested. What, you think the district attorney placed a family of secret agents in your own house to trick you into revealing where Maureen hid the loot? Not the DA. I'm guessing some insurance company paid out a large benefit for that necklace you mentioned. 
and they aren't known for just walking away from that kind of loss. Liam shook his head. I know the mother. She did some computer work for the department. The father works over at the Costco. First thing I did was check to see if they had any connection to the bank or the safe deposit box victims. They're clean. Just an all-American family living the dream in rural California. What about the mastermind? Liam shuddered at the mention of the man who had set up the ill-fated heist. He thought about the accident the detective had had on the mountain road. The investigator claimed he had been run off the narrow strip of asphalt by a gray Hummer. Was that more than just a possible road rage incident? Maybe, Liam conceded. It is strange that we haven't heard from him yet. Dale nodded in agreement, then looked at Liam. Do you really think it could be Marine talking to the boy? Liam shrugged. In my experience, things like that end up being someone trying to get attention. It could be faking the whole thing, spinning a tail, trying to get back some of the status he had before his younger sister was born. How old is he? Ten. Dale whistled. Kind of a sophisticated grift for a fifth grader. Not unheard of, though. All kinds of crazy stuff going around the internet these days. Probably a couple dozen YouTube videos alone on how to pull that kind of scam. And I thought fifteen years in prison may be a cynic, Dale said. Sometimes I think you're the one who had it easy. I've been looking for that stash and plugging away in this two-bit town when I should be living it up on a Caribbean island, Liam replied. Let me ask you, you knew her best. Do you think it's possible? Dale thought for a moment. She did believe in all that afterlife stuff, and if anyone would have the sheer stubbornness to stick around, it would be Maureen. Liam nodded. Either way, if he's talking to her ghost or stumbled upon some clue she left behind, he could shortcut this whole treasure hunt for us. So what do we do? Pay them a visit? Get the kid to convince Maureen to tell us where she stashed the bag? Dale asked. Let me do a little more snooping around. I'll find out exactly what's going on. If it turns out that the kid does know something, we'll figure it out from there. Dale nodded. It was moments like this when Liam scared him the most. When they were at a fork in the road, and Dale always seemed to follow Liam to the path that led them over a cliff. Thank you for listening to Afterlife, a rainy day investigation, on the Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs fiction podcast. Remember to subscribe, share, rate, and review not only this podcast, but the novel you are currently listening to. The links to Amazon, Audible, and Goodreads are in the description for this episode. You can sign up for the Insomniac's Snoozeletter at BedtimeStories.studio and get a free bookmark. And if you want to know more about the Rainy Day Investigations Paranormal Mystery Book Series, visit RainyAndDay.com. That's R-A-N-E-Y and D-A-Y-E dot com. You can find out more about the host of Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs at RichHosick.com. Thanks again, and all the very best.